We're so thankful you've chosen to tune in on whatever platform you're using, whether Podbean or through Facebook or iTunes. Whatever way you're listening, I just want to say thank you for joining in. We'd love to hear from you, so drop a comment to us or email us at thegrove267 at gmail.com. If you want to know more about us as a ministry, go to hisgrove.com, or you can also check us out on Facebook at Deeply Rooted Ministries in Canton, Texas. We believe God wants to use these messages to spread His truth to a needy world, but primarily a needy church, which needs the truth of the Word to resurrect among us so that Heaven's army will be equipped to win souls and train them up in the Lord. Jesus said if we know the truth, it will set us free. So help us to bring freedom to people's lives by sharing these messages in any way you can. Now to our podcast. Welcome listeners, those uh, who are with us for the first time or might have been on this journey, as I oftentimes say at the beginning of most of my podcast, um, who have been on this journey with us through the book of Romans, welcome. Um, hopefully this has been a blessing to you and that this passage will be a blessing to you as we go through it. Romans chapter 13, that is going to be the, the passage in question for us today and hopefully the Spirit will give us answers as we go through it. Um, if you haven't been joining us, and this is your first time, just kind of giving you a brief rundown, the first roughly 11 chapters of Romans is just Paul navigating through the history of, of the Jews and the relationship the believer has to the law of, of Torah, um, the inclusion of the Jews and Gentiles, God's predestined plan to bring about Christ, all these various things, and he, he kind of summarizes it all up in those 11 chapters, and now he's getting to more of the practical application of being a Christian under this new covenant that we have with God through Jesus Christ. Chapter 12, that is one of my favorite passages to go through because it is so in your face as to what it means to follow Jesus and so countercultural. That there's so many people that are unwilling to accept it. And, and is it a wonder? Because when Jesus was going through his ministry, wasn't there a whole lot of things that he talked about in which people just wouldn't accept because it wasn't the cultural norm? It, it wasn't the, the thing that they had always done. It wasn't the practice of the day. It wasn't the tradition. It wasn't the cultural practice that they had always been accustomed to and had gotten used to doing. And there's a lot of people who rejected that. Romans 12 is that in the new covenant is when we go through that there's a lot of people who are like I can't accept that well then you're not accepting the gospel because this is what it looks like to follow Jesus Christ on the cross and if we can't accept that then we can't accept him the terms are non-negotiable and getting into chapter 13 we're going to find a very similar approach that Jesus is taking here. And it's probably going to ruffle some feathers, especially if you're from, you know, um, if you're from America, which is predominantly the, the majority of people who download these podcasts. I know recently we had one from Ireland. So shout out to, to that one person in Ireland who downloaded um, one of these podcasts. Um, uh, for me, it, it sticks out to me because there's nostalgia. There's this nostalgia around Ireland. I've always wanted to go. Um, it's been that one place that is just on my bucket list, if you will, of, of places that I would love to go to, but probably will never get to. Um, and so when I saw that there was somebody from Ireland that downloaded, it's just this. I don't know. It's just a surreal feeling for me. Um, but if you're from America, this is going to be a difficult chapter for you. More than likely. And, and I'll say, it's not just limited to just Americans. This is a, a, a sin nature 
um, issue as to why for many people all over the world this is going to be a difficult passage for you. But what is written is written. And it's corresponding and, and correlated also and confirmed also through other passages in the New Testament. And we're going to get into that. And so if you want to bookmark 1 Peter chapter 2, we're going to be there because we were there a lot over Romans chapter 12. We'll be there a lot today because these two passages go hand in hand. Romans 12 and 13, 1 Peter chapter 2, and even going into chapter 3. And we're going to learn a lot about this in just a little bit. So with that kind of preface getting into this, let's get right into verse 1. He says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Now, before we get into some of the the corresponding um, verses that follow this, that could ruffle some feathers even more so than what I'm about to in these first two, I want to I want you to understand a few things. He says, "Let every person." That means that there's not anyone out there who says, "I don't have to." abide by this. If you are part of the church of Jesus Christ, then you are required by Christ and his word to be subject to the governing authorities. That's just what it says. This this word, when he says this, um, actually I haven't even gotten into this, um, into the next one. But it's very clear, very plain. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. God's the one who placed them there. Now, some people have stated that this is referencing church authority. Well, I believe that that could be a very applicable truth within this, because we are commanded to be subject to the leaders that are placed over us in the church. But I don't believe that this is just referencing just church authority. I believe this is referencing all authority. Listen to what he says. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Oh, I'm sorry. For there is no authority except from God. So what he's stating here, and and I'm sorry, I had overlooked that. I was thinking it was the next verse. What he's stating here is there's not an authority that's out there in this world under heaven that God has not appointed. The Joseph Stalins, God appointed. The Adolf Hitlers, God appointed. The Neros, God appointed. And that will come into play in just a second because some of you might be listening to this and you might be thinking, well, hold a sec, hold up a second. You say that God put Adolf Hitler in charge in authority, knowing what he was going to do? Yes, because that's what scripture says. Wait a second, you're saying that Nero, that God put Nero in authority, knowing what he was going to do, knowing the the bondage that Nero was going to put on his people, the Christians? You, You say God put him there? Yes. Can I remind you of Pharaoh? In Exodus, in which God himself stated, for this very reason I appointed you. Pharaoh. The hardships that the Israelites went through for those several hundred years, God put Pharaoh in charge and appointed him there for this very reason. So there's something that God has there. And so when somebody is appointed, if it's Joe Biden is the American president of the United States right now, God put him there. So when you are revolting and rebelling and being insubordinate to what God appoints, do you think he's happy with that? 
You think he's okay with that? Not according to the text. Listen to what he goes on to say. And I would encourage you, if you're already about to turn me off, I would encourage you at least just hang on for about five more minutes because you're going to hear something that you need, you need to understand and you need to grasp. He says, therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed and those who resist will incur judgment. You might be thinking, I don't want to listen to this. I'm not going to submit to Joe Biden because I don't agree with Joe Biden. Well, you know what? You will incur judgment. Here's what the word resist means. Because there might be some semantics involved, so I'm going to just clarify it. It's the word antitasomai. And it means this. To oppose or to go to battle against. Now, why do, why do I bring this up? Well, for one, I don't want you to misunderstand what it means to resist the governing authorities. But here I also want to bring up a passage or a concept in which um, I had to talk to my pastor about one time whenever we were... Um, July 4th weekend was coming up, and fittingly, I believe this was last year, I think we met on June 2nd or July 2nd, maybe it was July 3rd, and just so happened we were going over Romans 13. And then July 4th was going to be coming up. And thankfully the message wasn't about patriotism or nationalism and, and how great America is and celebrating the 4th of July but the message did um, spark a thought for me that I wanted to pose to the pastor. It's something I've always believed and I've always known. But July 4th is the celebration of us declaring our independence from governing authorities. And even it's us declaring that we will go to war in order to preserve our freedom and our liberation from governing authorities because... There's other things involved. I would encourage you to do the research on it from an unbiased source because there's a lot of things that I learned that aren't actually true. But the reality is, is that we rebelled from governing authorities because we didn't want to be under their thumb any longer. And we wanted to, as Americans, we wanted to not have to pay the two cent tax that they were putting on the tea. Two cents on every dollar. That doesn't actually sound like a whole lot when you put it into perspective. But that's where the whole Boston Tea Party thing that's where that all happened, is because essentially Great Britain, who owned the seas, they had the largest fleet, the largest navy um, in the world at the time, and they kind of owned the seas, were trying to impose a two-cent tax, a tariff, on the tea that the Americans were going to be selling. Even if I remember correctly from my studies, it's been several years ago, even Benjamin Franklin was like, what are y'all doing? Y'all are revolting against a two-cent tax? This is ridiculous. But that's what ensued or started this whole concept of rebellion. In fact, from my understanding, if you know of what the Sons of Anarchy were, they were the ones who actually came onto the scene after a lot of the colonials were willing to kind of do this. They came on the scene and they started creating chaos. And it stirred up all the people and then before you know it, everything has taken place. Now before I get into a lot of the historical aspect, I simply want to, want to come down to this. Whoever is going to oppose the governing authorities is opposing God. So how as Americans can we celebrate a day of independence whenever we are resisting the governing authorities? We're celebrating about 240, 50 years ago 
a group of men and women who chose to be insubordinate to the governing authorities and were celebrating that. It's essentially it's celebrating sin. Because he, he doesn't get much more plain than, for, than Romans chapter 13 and what he's talking about. And you might say, well, well they, weren't, um, they weren't worthy of our respect. I mean, they were trying to enforce things against us that just was not right. And they were doing things that wasn't fair. Well, let me, let me read this in 1 Peter chapter 2 just real quick. I'll start in verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. So now we have two witnesses, Paul and Peter, who are telling us, commanding us, not just saying, hey guys, this would be the best thing if you could. Don't misuse the whole we must obey God rather than man scripture. Because what Peter goes on to talk about in that concept, whenever they were saying, we're going, to, um, we're going to persecute you if you're going to continue preaching Jesus as the Christ. And he says, you know what? You do what seems good to you. But we cannot stop speaking what we've seen and heard and testifying to the Lord Jesus as the Christ. And they told them to stop preaching the message of Jesus Christ. And he says, you do what you need to. You can persecute us. You can whip us. You can do whatever you want to. But we must obey God rather than man. In what way were the Britons causing the Americans to not obey God? Paying a tax? Well, we'll get to that at the end of Romans 13. Were they not worthy of respect? We'll get to that at the end of Romans 13. Were they not worthy of being honored? We'll get to that here in just a little bit in 1 Peter chapter 2. Listen to what he says. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God. Let me, let me read that one again. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free. You know what? People talk about how we want to celebrate freedom and, and, and um, you know, the 4th of July is celebrating the freedom that we have. I, I'm already free. I don't have to be an American to be free. I'm free as a Christian. Christ Jesus has set me free from any bondage that this world or any other realm could bring to me. I'm already free. So even if I'm enslaved and put in prison, as Paul was many times in his life, even though I might have chains around my ankles and around my hands, I'm still free. That can't be taken away from me. So he says, live as people who are free, meaning his spiritual freedom. And he says this, not using your freedom in Christ as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. And check this out. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Notice how it's not a suggestion, it's a command. Honor the emperor. And at this time, you know who the emperor was? When Peter wrote this letter, the emperor, to my understanding, would have been Nero. And even if it wasn't Nero, even if Nero hadn't quite come onto the scene yet, I guarantee you the emperor of Rome was not a Christian. And I guarantee you he was not somebody that was worthy of a Christian's respect and honor. And yet it was still commanded. Honor the emperor. Show him he has value. Don't put up flags that say, you know, Biden's a bum. Um, whatever your president is, go out there. And as we're going to learn in 1 Timothy chapter 2, pray for them. But listen what he goes on to say. I brought this concept up in Romans chapter 12, and I'm going to continue bringing this up because this is the will of God for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
It is His will for you to be subject to the governing authorities, even if they're unjust and unfair. Listen to what He says. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. He skips down to 21. For to this you have been called. Because Christ suffered for you unjustly, leaving you an example that you should follow in His footsteps. And then check what out he says in chapter 3, verse 1, because the concept correlates and trickles down to everything, whether it's to the, the government of the United States and your responsibility towards them, whether it's elders in the church and your responsibility to them, whether it's a husband and the responsibility of the wife under the husband, whether it's your job, it doesn't matter. Listen to what he says. Likewise, in chapter 3, verse 1, First Peter, Wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. What did he just say? He says, if your husband is not doing what he's supposed to be doing, you still respect him. You still submit to him. That means if your governing authorities of the nation are not doing what they're supposed to be, they're not good guys, they're unfair, they're unjust, they're not doing what they're supposed to, you still submit to them. And all these, the qualifiers, as long as it doesn't make you disobey God, not your preference, but disobey God and His Word, you submit to them, even if they don't deserve it. Your elders at your church, if they're implementing something, I used to talk about this with a guy who said, you know, if my elder told me that I needed to come and wear green socks, I wouldn't wear green socks. I said, what about wearing green socks goes against the Word of God? He's like, what well, doesn't? I said, so what does it go against? He's like, I just don't want to wear green socks. And that's just wrong of him to do that. You know what? He'll give an account for that. But so will you for not being in subjection to him. Because your preference. You see, this is a concept, guys, that trickles down to the, even the lowest extremities. It's everywhere. And it's God's hierarchy. It's what God has instituted. That's why it says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution here on earth. Be subject to them. When they tell you to wear a mask, wear a mask. I can't tell you how much of an issue that caused within the church today. And it's the entitled mentality of mostly, of, from what I understand, what I see around me, of Americans who think they are entitled to disobey the word of God simply because they don't want to and it's still okay. Well, what does he say? Those who resist will incur judgment. You know what happened on July 2nd actually was the day that the resistance was formed. We celebrate July 4th, but July 2nd was actually when it was signed. You know what happened then? The resisting to governing authorities. And since that moment, there has been a judgment on this nation. You can say this used to be a Christian nation. I, I disagree. I don't believe this nation has ever been Christian when its foundation and inception was on revolting against the word of God. It's impossible. I mean, even George Washington said it. As he's quoted in the Treaty of Tripoli of 1797, in Article 11, Section A, I believe is where it's at, where he says that the government of the United States is in no way founded on the Christian religion. You won't find it anywhere there. You'll find a bunch of deists who believe in providence, who believe in a supreme being, but they do not believe in the interaction with mankind, which is the epitome of the gospel. Thomas Jefferson, the biggest, one of the most avid deists, was the guy who wrote the Constitution. Declaration of Independence. He was not a Christian. By his own mouth, 
and I'm paraphrasing what that's what the statement was, but essentially it was that the Christian religion, the Christian faith, is one of the worst things that's ever happened to mankind. So you can think that this used to be a Christian nation. I'm going to tell you, it never was, never has been. There were Christians here, but it was never a Christian nation. And largely in part because from its very foundation and inception, it was rebelling against the word of God. So hopefully I have your attention. And I could go on to the whole Christian nation thing of America. I could go on for quite a while on that because I put in a ton of research on it. But I'm going to keep it to the text. But I'm throwing that out there for you because I want you to think about it. I want you to think about how even in the beginning of the Declaration of Independence says we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. Is that, is that how they treated the African Americans? Is that how they treated the Indians? When we came over and we decided that we wanted to rob the Indians of their land that they originally owned... And we wanted to swindle them. We wanted because they didn't speak what we spoke, English. That we were going to make up all these contracts that was going to rob them of their land and swindle them intentionally. And then brutally march them. Was the Trail of Tears, was it like 2,500 miles that we marched them? And said, you have to go stay on these reservations because we have the guns and you don't. We're kicking you off your land. Are they created equal? You see the hypocrisy even in the foundation and inception of this nation? It was not Christian. And this passage proves it. So when you celebrate July 4th, let me just tell you really quickly, you're celebrating sin. And I'm going to say, as what does he say in, um, I think it's 2 John 1, nine. Let me go and read this real quick and then I'm going to get back to the text. He says this, in verse 7 of Second John, For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves, so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may gain a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead of the teaching... I'm sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Let me read that one again. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. What is he saying? He says, if there is sin that is happening, don't greet it. Don't let it into your house. Don't tolerate it. Don't give in to it. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. When you celebrate July 4th, you are celebrating sin. And you are taking part in the wicked works of men 250 years ago. Who resisted the authority that God appointed. Listen to what he says in verse 3. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good. And you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your work. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. 
For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, listen very carefully to what this therefore is stating. Therefore, because of all of that, because God has commanded you and I, every person who is part of the body of Jesus Christ, to be subject to the governing authorities of any authority that God has placed, because there is no authority except that from God. God appoints them. And he says, because of all of this, that God's going to judge you if you choose to resist the authorities. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. Now, isn't that a fascinating statement? Because you know who he's talking to. He's talking to the church. And I know that a lot of times people say, well, there's no possible way that I could be under God's wrath. Jesus took that on the cross. Well, here eh, seems to be the problem with that concept is this contradicts it. As well as Ephesians 5 where he says that the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. What's his inference there? That if you become partners with the sons of disobedience, that his wrath will come upon you too. And if you don't believe me, then you can also go to Hebrews chapter 10, 26-31, one that I've quoted many times as we've gone through Romans. If we go on sinning deliberately, so the author includes himself as a born-again believer filled with the Holy Spirit. If we go on sinning deliberately after receiving a knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Doesn't that 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 does that sounds like wrath, doesn't it? And he says very plainly here, in order to avoid God's wrath, you must be in subjection to the governing authorities. On the contrary, just as he talked about in Romans twelve, he knows the natural disposition of man in the flesh is going to be to retaliate, it's going to be to defend yourself, it's going to be to go and use force if necessary to preserve your life. And he says, But that's not the life of a Christian because it's not wasn't the life of Christ on the cross. Go back and listen to Romans twelve one. He says, To the contrary. So I'm going to use those same words that Paul used in the previous chapter. To the contrary. Here's what your response should be. 1 Timothy chapter 2, 1-2 through 2. First of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior. Did you catch it? Do you even care what pleases Him? Or do you care about upholding your own preferences what what pleases you because I'm going to tell you that if you're not in subjection to governing authorities if you're out there slandering them if you're out there being malicious if you're out there you know having flags that are flying off of your car with derogatory terms toward Joe Biden if you're out there riding around telling people that Biden's a bum then you know what you're in sin It's not pleasing to God. And you will incur judgment. So he goes on in verse 6. For because of this. For because of this. Because God's wrath will come upon sons of disobedience. Whether you're in the faith or not. If you're linking and partnering with sons of disobedience. Then you know what? Then his wrath will come upon you too. His judgment will come upon you. That's what he said in verse 2. 
Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Don't think that all your past, present, future sins were forgiven and forgotten. You will incur judgment. And it's not something that you want, according to Hebrews 10, 26-31. If you go on sinning from this moment on, maybe you didn't know, maybe you had no idea, and you celebrated the 4th of July, and, and you went and popped fireworks, and you wore the American flag, and you put flags out in front of your house, and you're like, woohoo, July 4th, celebrate freedom. Maybe you didn't know, but now you do. And what you do from this point forward will determine whether or not you will come under the judgment of God for your decisions and the sins that you're walking in and tolerating amongst others or if you're walking away that's pleasing to Him. He says this, For because of this, you also pay taxes. Now, think about what he's saying here. Because of this, you also pay taxes because God has appointed them to the position of authority. Pay the taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. Now we already covered the respect and honor. That even if they're unjust, even if they're unfair, even if it's taxation without representation, what are we commanded to do here? Pay it. But it's not fair. Pay it. But this tax, you, you don't understand. This, this tax, I don't have the money for it. You know what? When it came down to the temple tax and they didn't have the money for it, you remember what Jesus told Peter whenever he said, are we to pay the tax? And he says, yeah. So as to not give an offense, the son is free, but so as to not give an offense to them, go ahead and pay the tax. And you know what he told them to do? He says, I want you to go get a fish out of the ocean, look in its mouth, and you're going to find two coins, one for you, one for me to pay the tax. I will provide. Your job is to obey. Your job isn't to question. Your job isn't to be like, I'm not sure how we're going to be able to afford this. Your job, my job, is to simply submit to God and obey. Pay the tax. Might not be fair. You might be free. This isn't even your home. You know, it, 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 is it a, a bothersome thing for me that I don't put my kids into public education school because I'm against the public educational system? I believe that it's the Moloch of today's age. The very thing in which in the Old Testament God said, if you, if you in Israel, if anyone sacrifices or gives up your child to Moloch, they are to be stoned to death. And if anyone sees it happening and doesn't say anything, they're to be stoned to death. Because what the practice of giving your child unto Moloch was, was that you would offer them up to Moloch, which was a pagan god of the surrounding areas, a pagan god that God forbid them from worshipping, forbid them from practicing the worship of, and they would send their child to Moloch for financial prosperity. Because they believed that sacrificing that child up to Moloch would bring them financial success. And I believe a lot of people are doing that very thing today. 
But you know how I'm, I'm against the public school education? I do not send my kids to a pagan institution to train them. I train them and disciple them in the ways that they should go. Because I know the promise that God has given to parents that if we train them in the ways they should go, that even when they're old, they will not depart from it. But you know what I still have to do? As an American citizen living in Van Zandt County, I have to pay school tax. It's not fair. It's unjust. I shouldn't have to do it. But you know what? For the Lord's sake, I do it. And God has never once failed to provide the things that we need in this life. My job and your job is obedience and submission to His Word. That's it. We leave the rest in His, in his hands. We already talked about 1 Peter 2.17. I want to look at Matthew 22. In another instance in which it's talking about now paying the taxes to Caesar. And this is a you know, pretty common, commonly known verse or passage. He says this, starting in verse 17 of Matthew 22. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Therefore render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. He says, You know what? If Caesar's asking for it, give it to him. I mean, just plain and simple, Jesus is telling us that if they're asking for taxes, even Caesar, give it to them. So as to not cause offense, you might be free. And you might be a sojourner, an alien, and an exile in this land. And this is not your home. But you know what? Pay it anyways. So with these truths, you tell me how July 4th is something to celebrate. You tell me how the revolting of an American colonial people against the governing authorities of the time is biblical in any way, shape, or form. You tell me how resisting them and going to battle against them is honorable to God. Because I'm looking through these first seven verses, I cannot justify it. And I don't see any way that you can. So, some food for thought on that. Hopefully that challenged you. Hopefully that opened your perspective a little bit. And if you have a desire to please God, hopefully it changed you a little bit. If you weren't already in line with understanding these things. Going on, he says this. Oh, no one anything, in verse 8. Oh, no one anything except to love each other for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Now, you know, you could look at Proverbs 22, 7 where it talks about that the, the lender um, or the, the one who uh, borrows is a slave to the lender. God doesn't want us to be slaves. And I totally agree that debt free is the, is the way we should go. There are way too many people who are slaves to their debt. Because they're living lives they can't afford because they're not content. They want the next greatest thing. They want the newest car or the newest truck. They want the best truck. They want the best house. They're going out there and they're living paycheck to paycheck. Not because they don't make enough, but because they spend too much. And they're in debt. God doesn't want us to live like that. Now, I'm not one who says that all debt is just completely and utterly sinful. 
I would say that there is there's a, um, a place that there could be for debt. Let me give you an example. We're building this discipleship center. You know, I think at this time it was probably six years ago. We're in the process of building this, and um, we knew that we had about um, we had like eight thousand dollars. Okay, that we had gotten we had gotten a tax refund back, um, and without going into detail on that, roughly just know we had roughly about eight thousand dollars, and we needed a car. Um, and so we had an option. We could pay outright for our car, but then not have any money at all to finish this discipleship center. Or we put some money towards a car and then finance the rest and have a minimum payment that we could, that we could afford and pay off every single month, like it wasn't a question of that, and then have about five or six grand to be able to invest into this discipleship center. So we prayed about it, and we wrestled through some things. We talked to some other people about it. And in the end, we chose to use the money for the Discipleship Center to build this and to get this done and just finance the car. Manageable payments is like $105 a month. It wasn't, it wasn't a ton. It was something that we could afford at the time. Um, so I think for me, that's an area in which taking on a small amount of debt might actually be the biblical thing. But I think as a generalized rule of thumb, we should owe no one anything but to love them. We should not be slaves to anything because what happens is, is you get debt and then you have to work more. And you've got to work a certain amount of hours to accumulate enough money to be able to pay off the debts that you're accruing every single month with your mortgage and your car payments and all these various things that you've got. And you've got to work a substantial amount of hours. Then when it comes time to be free to be able to do what God wants you to do, you're like, no, I'm sorry, I've got to work. I'm a slave to my lender instead of to my master. It comes time to your boss, who they don't care about your relationship with Jesus Christ most of the time. They're caring about the bottom line of their business succeeding. So your boss is saying, hey, you know what? I'm going to need you to come in on Sunday. And now you're forsaking the, the assembly of the saints because you need to work. You can't afford to lose your job. You can't afford to not make those payments. And so because you are in debt, you're a slave to the wrong person. And this is something we need to take an honest look at in America. When I hear that somebody tells me, like I'm not a Dave Ramsey guy, guys, that the Dave Ramsey model is a model for, for personal success, um, a worldly success. It's using principles of God in order to attain worldly stewardship and success. It's not biblical. The whole concept of just doing your 10% and putting 10% and saving it. Yeah, it's moving people towards debt-free, but it's not honoring God. I don't believe, in my personal opinion. But I do believe when somebody comes and tells me we really try to stay out of debt, man, that, that's somebody that I'm like, you get it. You understand it. And this is a verse that upholds it. Oh, no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not commit murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment. I don't care any of the other 613. This is the whole premise of what the new covenant has tried to teach us, though it is now spiritually applied, not physically, because back then when it says you shall love your neighbor as yourself, it's referencing the Jew. 
It is referencing a Jew, a fellow fellow Israelite, who was born into the physical lineage of Israel. But now, spiritually applied, loving your neighbor as yourself, is exactly what Jesus says in John 13, 34-35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. By this the world will know that you belong to me, if you have love for one another. Littered all throughout the New Testament. To love the body of Jesus Christ above all. And the one who does it, the one who loves the church, as he talked about in Galatians 6, 9 through 10, when he says, as so then as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, but especially those who are of the household of faith. The one who does that is fulfilling the premise of what the law was about. It's not that we're fulfilling the 613 commands and that we have to go back and we have to keep every single one of them. It's not about the rules. It's about the cross. The source of our obedience is the cross of Jesus Christ, not the voice of Moses or the seed of Moses. He's simply just stating that if you are loving my people, then you are fulfilling what was under the old. You're fulfilling that now in the new. He says, you shall love your neighbors yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. This law of Christ that we are under, now spiritually applied to love the heavenly Jerusalem, the people who are the Adelphos, the beloved, the betrothed of God. We love them. This is how we know we've passed from death to life, if we have love for the brothers. By this we know love. Jesus laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. We are his body. The expression of Christ here on earth. And we love the body because we love the head. And that's what shows the beauty of Christ to the world. So he goes on in verse 11. He says, besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. Now these are already Christians. So waking from sleep is not somebody who's being spiritually awakened from death unto life. That they're coming into salvation. These are people who are already saved. And I want you to notice something here in just a second. That is very pivotal to understanding the, um, the flow of our Christian life from beginning to end. He says, the hour has come and it's time for you to wake from sleep. It means it's time for you to just open up your spiritual eyes and begin walking in the way that God wants you to walk, which is why he goes on to say the things that he does. He says, for salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. Now, isn't that interesting that these people have already been saved? Obviously denoted by the fact that he says, than when we first believed, including himself. Paul says that the salvation that we're waiting for is nearer to us than when we first believed. So these are people who have been saved, and as scripture also details, are being saved, and in the end, will be saved. The salvation is a process. It wasn't something that just took place in the beginning, and then holds its course the rest of the way. It's something in which is It happened, it is happening as we abide in him and it will happen in the end if we remain in the position of Jesus Christ. If we choose to apostatize, then know that salvation that is waiting for us in the end will not be there. That's clearly what Hebrews 6, 4-6 says. 
So when he says, for salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed, Paul's including himself to say, there's still something that I'm waiting for. And I think he diagnoses that in 2 Timothy 4, 7 through 8, when he says that I have fought the fight, I've kept the faith, I've finished the race. Henceforth, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which God will award to me, but also, not only to me, but also those who have loved his appearing. He says, I kept the faith, I fought the fight, I finished the race. And because of that, because I have remained in Christ to the end, the crown of righteousness is laid up for me. That's salvation, the redemption of my soul. Now, I've talked at length about that specifically in Romans chapter 11, but I've also talked about it at length in chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7. Talked about it at length through many podcasts. So I'm not going to do it at length here, but what I will tell you is this, is you have an obligation to remain in Him in order to find that salvation in the end. Because not only have we been justified, we're being justified and we will be justified. Not only have we been saved, are we being saved and we will be saved. Not only have we received the spirit of adoption, but as Romans 8.23 talked about, that we will receive the adoption as sons in the end. There's a... There's a process to it. And it was not all finalized just because you gave your life to Jesus apart from any responsibility of you. So he goes on, he says, The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify his desires. You could go into Galatians chapter 5 on that one to say, how is it that we're going to put off the deeds of the flesh? You walk by the Spirit. You choose to walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the deeds of the flesh. But if you choose to not put on the Spirit, if you choose to say, oh, you know what, well, um, Jesus says in John 6.63, the words that I speak to you are spirit and life. So these words that he says right here when he says be subject to the governing authorities, I don't really feel like doing that. I want to wave that flag that says Biden's a bum or some other derogatory term towards Biden. I don't want to put on that mask. I don't want to pay those taxes. I don't want to. I want to resist the authorities. Then you know what? You're not walking by the spirit and you are gratifying the desires of the flesh. The only way to not gratify and give in to the flesh, even as a Christian is to choose to walk by the Spirit. To make the choice to say that I choose the Spirit, even if it goes against my preference, even if it goes against my wants, even if it goes against my flesh, I choose to walk by the Spirit in faith and in obedience to my Master, no matter what it costs me. God calls that a cross. And it's the thing that we're supposed to bear daily in order to follow Him. Because if you're not willing to bear the cross of self-denial and sacrifice of yourself and the things that you want, then you can't follow Him. And if you can't follow Him, knowing that He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through Him, if you don't follow Him, it's not enough to just be His disciple. You need to follow Him. That means you need to put action to your faith. If you don't follow Him to the end, then you won't get to the Father. Jesus is the way. And if you don't want to walk His way, you won't make it to the Father. Jesus is the truth. 
If you want to redefine that truth and make it something else and say it's more palatable, I don't want to submit to my husband. He doesn't deserve my respect. He doesn't deserve my love. He doesn't deserve my being in subject to him. I don't want to do those things. Let me just tell you, you're not following Christ because he's the truth and you're trying to redefine it. And his truth has already spoken on the matter. And if you want to dictate the terms of your own life instead of following his, then as he's the way, the truth, and the life, if you're not following those three things, then you will not make it to the Father. So all the cards are on the table, at least in this capacity. The choice of which ones you're going to play is up to you. Y'all be blessed.